0: Good to be with you guys again. I always enjoy coming and uh, sharing with you uh, a couple of things. Uh, I think the last time I was here, I was fighting a bit of a cold. I'm at the tail end of a cold. Hopefully, it's almost over. So uh, uh, I was up in uh, um, in Minnesota this week uh, teaching at uh, Bethany College of Missions, and it was good to be up there. But Friday, I saw a 12-inch snowfall. And it reminded me why I left Minnesota uh, <clears throat> so I, I was telling them this morning I came from a twelve inch uh snowfall to twelve inches of pollen and uh <clears throat> but it's uh it's good to be back uh in georgia so um, yeah uh David sharing a bit about the transformation network uh, we're excited about uh our, what's going on with uh uh, Josh and Sarah Turner, who are getting ready to plant in South Cobb. I know Josh has been here to share with you guys, and uh, um, we uh, we believe. And this is our sixth church. Uh, for those of you who don't know, the network is basically a, uh, a church planting ministry, and we're committed to this uh, northwest uh, sector of Metro Atlanta. And we'd love to see in the future 20 churches or more in this area. We believe that the, the strategy for transforming a community would be uh, these staging areas of the kingdom in uh, different local churches all over the place. And we also believe that in that uh, planting of churches, there's great uh, leverage for these churches working together to make an impact on the community. So, uh the uh the newest church which is getting ready to be planted uh river city uh i encourage you to pray for them as they prepare and some of you even pray pray about uh, going i know uh, josh has preached here and i encourage you just to ask the lord am i to be a part of this it's uh church planting demands sacrifice but uh, in terms of kind of leaving uh, one community to go to another but there's great blessing and benefit in it and uh I know right now at Riverstone <clears throat> we have an uh, upset uh, youth pastor because she's losing so many <laughs> of the people that, uh, who have been discipling in the youth group going with Josh. So that's a tough part of it, but also the Lord quickly fills up those positions with new people and we see his hand as we, as we multiply out. So I encourage you, be praying uh, if you're to be a part of that plant uh, in the southern part of the county. I'd like to pray, uh, maybe as we get started, just to pray for our churches, and then uh, we'll launch into this, uh, this word. Lord, we are grateful for what you're doing uh, in this area and through the planting of these churches, and we pray for more, Lord. Uh, we do ask your blessing upon Josh and Sarah as they get ready to plant. Lord, I pray that they would uh, be able to recruit the leadership team the core group that's necessary to establish a strong church in that area. We pray, Lord, that uh, they would see a, a great uh, move of Your Spirit upon that community to to really transform that area, Lord. That's going to be so strategic in the coming days. So, Lord, we bless them. Uh, I pray, Lord, for Stonebridge. I thank You, Lord, for what You're doing in this church and their commitment to be uh, to be connected into the epicenter of Marietta. and Cobb County. I pray for blessing and influence over this area, Lord. Would you, would you bless and bless David as he's leading this group, Lord? I pray, give them wisdom for the things that you have for them in this hour. Pray for, Lord. We lift up Riverstone. Thank you for what you're doing there. Continue to minister, Lord, for the others who are looking at church planting out of that church, Lord. We pray, raise them up in due season and time, Lord. We ask your blessing upon Vintage. Uh, be with Steve in the ministry up there and increase your presence in their midst, Lord. May they see a year of, of great blessing over that community as they're an influence there. Lord, for awakening in Woodstock, we pray for Jeff and, and his people, Lord. Would you would you move strongly in their midst? And then, Lord, for sojourn in Ernie, we, we ask, Lord, that uh, as the East Cobb would be different because of the presence of that church there. So give them wisdom as to where you what you want them to be doing in this hour, Lord, as your people. So we thank you, Lord, for your graciousness and kindness, how you've shown yourself strong. We pray for more. Now, Lord, we give you this time together. We pray uh, that your word would be alive to us by your spirit uh, and that you would speak into our hearts, Lord. We, We desire to hear from you today. We desire revelation from your heart into our heart that changes the way that we perceive and think, Lord. We We turn from our understanding of this world to our understanding of the kingdom. And Lord, we pray that the kingdom, the kingdom of God, would be the reference point for how we live every day. For We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to read a passage out of Romans 11. Uh, In this particular 9, 10, and 11 of Romans is kind of the uh, turning point of that book. And uh, Paul's laying out in these uh, chapters why the Jews have not responded to Jesus as Messiah. And uh, basically he makes the case that they've been hardened in a position of uh, rejection. Uh, But the the good news is uh, that that will be overcome in time. And so and he's laying that out in 9:10 and 11 kind of reaches the climax of his argument in chapter 11 verses 25 through 27 and that's where we're going to pick up in which he's talking about how that turning uh will take place and he he begins by saying this lest you be wise in your own sight he's speaking here to the gentiles to those of us who might become arrogant because somehow we think we understand and have responded to Messiah, but the Jews haven't, so maybe we're better than they are. So Paul is saying to us, be careful, don't be arrogant, lest you be wise in your own sight. I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery. He's give, give us a mystery, something that is, uh, was not known in the Hebrew Scriptures about Israel and what's happening to Israel, and that is their hardening. He says, brothers, a partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. Now, some translations say the full number of the Gentiles, but really the the more faithful translation is just fullness. It could mean numbers, but I think it means more than that. Matter of fact, I'm going to make the case, I think he's talking about revival, like in fullness of the Spirit. So he says, until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in, and in this way... All Israel will be saved. In other words, Paul is saying, when this fullness comes among the Gentiles, there will be a turning in Israel that the vast majority of the, of the Jews will turn to Jesus as Messiah at the end of the age. And then he, uh, he quotes this these uh, actually is kind of a combination of, of Hebrew scriptures He says, the Deliverer will come from Zion. In other words, the Messiah will come out of Zion, out of Israel. He will banish ungodliness from Jacob, and this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. So this is a great hope for Israel that their sins will be forgiven. They will know their Deliverer, who is Jesus, Messiah, at the end of the age. So I wanted to kind of set that scripture up, and we'll revisit it here in a minute. But here's what I, I, I want to kind of bring before you today, and that is this. Our worldview of revival determines the way we live. Now, let me kind of play that out. And by revival, I mean this um, this uh, phenomena that has been a part of of the church since the day of Pentecost, where God moves upon the church by his spirit to kind of surge forward in his purposes on the earth by the power of the Spirit. And so um, your view of revival, how you view revival, determines how you live. Uh, For example, if your view of revival is that there are these occasional eruptions of emotionalism and fanaticism, and you don't want any part of it, then basically you're going to reject revivals, or you're going to ignore them. If your view of revival is that basically, and this is a pretty legitimate view, but I'm not sure it's the highest view of revival, that God pours out His Spirit periodically upon the church when the church becomes lukewarm or when it gets in sin in order to take it back to the New Testament standard, then the way you're going to live is to pray for revival when the church falls into sin and lukewarmness. But if your view of revival is that, and and in a minute I'll share, I I believe this is the biblical view, is that revivals are frequent surges of the Spirit into the church, and it's been happening throughout church history, and that these surges of the Spirit of God into the church, moving redemption, the, the, the purposes of redemption forward to the end of the age, when God will pour out his spirit in a massive revival for the greatest harvest the world has ever known before Jesus returns, if that's your view, if your view is that revivals are the strategy of God to move redemptive history forward, to bring us to the place of Jesus' return, if that's your view, then you will live in constant expectation for more. More of God, more of his presence, and more of his spirit. In other words, if we're saying that the history that we're living in, the church age, is a history of ever-increasing outpourings of the spirit to ultimately bring us to the final outpouring worldwide revival, then we live, and we should live, with expectation for more. More in our life, more in our church, more in our community, more in the world that we live with this expectation. Now, <clears throat> if you look at the Bible, and particularly in the New Testament, you find that this seems to be, I believe, the, the posture of uh, of the New Testament church. Peter, on the day of Pentecost, when the Spirit was poured out for the first time upon the church, upon the disciples, he said, this that you see going on here is that, and he pointed to Joel 2, to a prophecy that Joel gave in the Hebrew Scriptures about an end-time, worldwide revival that would be released in the earth when the Spirit of God would come upon all flesh before the great and terrible day of the Lord, before the end of this age. And he, he says that this outpouring of the Spirit will come, that's the prophecy, at the end of the age, upon many people. And Peter says, what you see going on at Pentecost is that. He's not saying that what happened at Pentecost is the worldwide revival. What he's saying is, what happened at Pentecost is the phenomena. The, the phenomena of the outpouring of the Spirit upon people, upon a group of people. And this will go on in the last days. We live in the last days now. The last days are days between Jesus' first coming and second coming. This will go on in the last days, in ever-increasing outpourings, until the final great worldwide revival that will trigger the return of Jesus. So the question is this. If that's the case, if there is this... uh, And and also, I want to just kind of go back to this scripture we read, that Paul is saying the exact same thing. He's saying in, in Romans 11... That at the end of the age, there will be a fullness among the Gentile believers that will be so stunning and so powerful that Israel, that has rejected Jesus for over these 2,000 years, suddenly would turn and say, what is this going on? And be jealous for what they see going on in the earth through these believers in Jesus and come to the recognition that Jesus is indeed Messiah. At least a good portion of them will at the end of the age. So Paul has this kind of view of history that there will be this climax of spirit outpouring upon the Gentiles that will even affect the nation of Israel. Now, if that's the case, here's my question. Why is it that many times, those of us in the church, when we think of the end of the age, we have such a fatalistic view of evil and destruction and whatnot. Now now let me play this out. Obviously in the scripture there are prophecies that as we move toward the end of the age, things will heat up. And evil will become stronger and there will be falling away and this mysterious figure that's spoken of throughout the scriptures called Antichrist or the beast or whatever this personification of evil will be in the earth and we will see a ramping up of sin and evil and destruction going on. But that's only one side of the picture. The other side of the picture is that we see these prophecies about a great outpouring of the Spirit and an incredible move of God at the end of the age. So it's kind of like uh, Charles Dixon's book. It's the the worst of times and it's the best of times. (laughs) You have both going on, and I would even say this. That the worst of times at the end of the age, all of this ramping up of evil and sin is but a it's not an attack of the enemy, it's a counterattack of the enemy to try to stop the mighty surge of the spirit that's being released in the earth. As a matter of fact, if you look today in the Middle East, I think a lot the reason for a lot of the terrorism today is that it's an attempt by radical elements of Islam to try to stop the surge of the gospel. They don't know how to stop it. And so you see this kind of radical element, particularly in Africa, where there's a lot of uh, persecution and martyrdom going on in an attempt to shut down the gospel. It's the power of the gospel that is going to surge forth at the end of the age, and you're going to see this reaction, this counterattack to it. So I say all that just simply to say this. Yes, things will get bad as we see in the prophetic writings of Scripture. But also, we as the church need to believe for the greatest outpouring the church has ever seen. And it will be that outpouring that will cause incredible breakthrough in the earth with the person of Jesus Christ. Even stunning Israel to wake up to the fact that Jesus is Messiah. So, if that's the case, the question is this: how should we then live? And the answer is, as the church, we should always live with expectancy for more: more of God, more of His Spirit, more breakthrough in our lives, more breakthrough in the church. That this is the calling of the church. I think, and if you see this in the New Testament, there's always this surge toward more. Even what they saw in the early days of the church, it wasn't enough. They they were saying there's more. Keep pressing in for more. More of what God wants to do in your life, what he wants to do in his people, what he wants to do in the earth. So how does that more look like? Uh, Let me uh, just take a little bit of time and give you maybe three areas that I think how that plays out in our life personally. Number one, if we're believing that things are moving toward a great outpouring of the Spirit at the end of the age. I believe one of the ways that will affect us is that we will be seekers of more. We will always be seeking more from God, and and the way that plays out the most, or or maybe the way, the dominant way it plays out in our life is in prayer. We are praying for more. We're believing God for more. As a matter of fact, Paul says in Ephesians in Ephesians two. Uh, he tells the Ephesians what he's praying for, for them as a a people. And remember, in Acts 19, it's the story of how the Holy Spirit fell upon the believers at Ephesus. And so they had experienced revival. They had experienced the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. But here, Paul is saying, I want you to know what I'm praying for you. This is some years later. He's saying, I'm praying. And he goes through all of these things that he's praying, and he kind of ends up by saying this. I'm praying that you would be filled to the measure of the fullness of God. Now, what is that? I mean, I know what the fullness of God is, what it is to be filled with spirit. But he's saying, I'm praying that you would be filled to the measure of the fullness of God, the full measure of the fullness of God. So he's saying, I'm praying for more. I'm praying for more. It, this was the posture of Paul toward the churches. It was his belief that God had more for us through his spirit. And that we should be anticipating and expecting even greater surges of His grace in our life than we've known in the past. And so he's saying, I'm praying for more. And so what you find is this, that this, prayer is the key to seeking more. And I think the reason for that is that in the fires of intercession as believers, we're forged into this, from being seekers... To being determined seekers that say our life as a congregation, my life as a believer is always to be in the position of believing God for more. And I will believe Him for more till the end of my life or till the end of this age when Jesus returns, because I know this is the promise of God for us. So I'm seeking more. I want more from God. I want more of his spirit in my life, more grace from Jesus in my life. And so this this posture of more, seeking more, is found in prayer. I, one of the things that uh, interested me, uh, I was reading and I noticed in, back in 1748, Jonathan Edwards, and Jonathan Edwards was a Puritan preacher in New England. We always know him for his great sermon, Sinners in the Hands of Angry God, but Basically, Jonathan Edwards was probably the greatest theologian America's ever produced, and one of the, and he was the catalyst in the first great awakening in the United States. We as a nation have seen God move through this nation in awakenings at least three times, and the first one was in Jonathan Edwards' day, and his church was a part of that in New England. So uh, in 1748, after the First Great Awakening kind of started and, and kind of had come to a conclusion, Edwards began to call the pastors of Scotland in New England to pray. I get this, in 1748, to pray for the final outpouring of the Holy Spirit. The Last Great Awakening. And, uh, and in his, his he, he wrote this little book, uh, the title of the book, Is long enough to be a book for us, you know. uh, That's the way the Puritans—they love words, so it's just kind of a run-on sentence. Of goes about uh, ten lines, but in the in this uh, Edwards gives this view of how the end-time revival would happen, and he connects it with prayer. Let me just—and this is just a a summary of what he said, kind of a paraphrase. He said, first, God would give His church a desire to pray for more. Second, people would come together in determined prayer for a worldwide revival throughout, throughout the world. And this is what he was calling the pastors of Scotland to begin to do. Third, these determined seekers for more would increase in number, intensity, and places. Fourth, revival would begin to break into the church, creating an even greater determination for more. And then fifth, others outside the church will see the revival in the church, and they would be awakened to Jesus. And they, too, would begin to pray for more and crying out for more. And this prayer for more would increase and intensify until whole nations are awakened to the Lord. Now, this was Edward's scenario of what he thinks would happen to bring about the end-time revival. Now, you might be thinking, well, that was 1748. They didn't get it. (laughs) They prayed, but they didn't get the worldwide revival. No, but they got the second great awakening. About ten years later, that great awakening broke. You see, whether we reach the end-time revival or not, if we're praying for more, we will get more. We'll get the next wave of the Holy Spirit. If it's not the last wave, it'll be the next wave. And so Edwards was a man of revival. He believed God would pour out his Spirit upon the church. And he was calling pastors and churches to pray, even in that time, for more. And in the faithfulness of their intercession... Uh, At the turn of the century, in the 1800s, we see the next great move of God upon the church in America. So, this posture of more. Now, let me say this. You're saying, well, you know, I'm not sure I am a, I I don't know how to make myself a seeker of more. And I would say to you, you can't make yourself a seeker of more. You have to pray yourself into being a seeker of more. And and it doesn't mean you have to start out by saying, okay, I'm going to give eight hours a day to praying for revival. What it simply means is that you put into your heart, into your prayer life on a regular basis, I'd say a daily basis. I've been doing this uh, maybe for the last six months. Just a simple prayer for me. Lord Jesus Christ, revive me. (laughs) Revive me. Revive my heart. Do something new in me. And, and I'll tell you something, uh, it's been interesting to watch what God does because he, he said to me, Mark, if you'll begin to pray this, I'll begin to give you tokens of my activity, of my movement, of revival life in you and around you. And it's been fun to watch what God's doing. I'm not saying I've seen revival, but I've seen tokens of renewal, samples of God moving in me and in others in a way that I wasn't seeing before I started praying this prayer. And so I would say, just start. Just start. Put yourself in a posture of expectation and say, God, I want to believe this. I want to believe it for myself. I want to believe it for our church. I want to believe it for this community. I'm asking you for more. I'm believing you for this. I'm seeking for this. I'm expecting this. Jesus said, you know, ask, seek, knock. And really that's translated, keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. Keep going for this until you begin to see it. So I would encourage you in that. And and the other thing I would say is this. Don't let the more keep you from more. Uh, what I mean by that is a lot of times we pray for more and God does something in our life and say, okay, that's it. No. What I, what I want you to understand, our lifestyle is a lifestyle of expectation. New things. New breakthroughs. New frontiers of what God wants to do in our life. New uh, experiences of the Spirit of the Lord moving upon us to accomplish God's purpose. So be seekers of more. Don't let the more keep you from more. Keep in that posture. uh, One of the things I was noticing in the great Welsh revival in the early 1900s, the Spirit of God was poured out on a whole nation, uh, Wales. Evan Roberts was the leader of that, and it went on for about, um, I think, about uh, 18 months. In the middle of that, when it was really at its height, Evan Roberts felt like God was saying, you go into a room and you pray for a week, for more. And everybody was saying, you can't go. The revival's at its height. People need you. You need to stay with it. He said, no, I really feel like I need to pray. So he goes and he prays for a week in a room. He says, if you need to get in touch with me, just slip something under the door. That's kind of an old-fashioned texting, I think. You know, you just slip a note under the door. And so... But he, he was there a week, and then when he came out, they said the revival went to a whole nother level because he wouldn't settle even for the more. He was always pressing in, believing God for the next thing. So be seekers of more. Secondly, uh, expectancy of a worldwide revival produces receivers of more. Don't just seek more, but receive more. And by receiving, I mean receive fresh encounters of the Holy Spirit in your life. Let me me quote Jonathan Edwards again. Edwards said this, From the fall of man, from the day that man fell in the garden, to our day, the work of redemption in its effect has mainly been carried on by remarkable communications of the Spirit of God. Now, when he says remarkable communications, he's not just talking about communicating by word. He's talking about remarkable outpourings of the Spirit of God. So Jonathan Edwards is saying, look, throughout history, even back to the fall, the way God has moved things forward is by pouring out his Spirit. And that's particularly true in the church age. Since Jesus has come, the way God moves things forward, the way he moves redemption forward in the earth is by the pouring out of his Spirit. Why? Why is it encounter with the Spirit? Receiving the Holy Spirit is so important for the church and for us as individuals. Because of this reason. The Holy Spirit's desire is to exalt the Lord Jesus Christ. And when we engage the Spirit of God, He does something in us that gives us a deeper affection and a deeper obedience and a deeper desire for the Lord Jesus in our life. To exalt Him. To love Him. To lift him up. And when that happens, not only does it awaken the church to this one who is our Savior and Redeemer. And the reality of his presence. But at times it can even waken the world around us to his presence. And that's why these encounters of the Spirit receiving. What the Spirit of God wants to do in our life is so important. Because his ministry is to exalt the Son. As a matter of fact, one of the things I think happens when the Spirit of God is poured out on a people is that we enter into the love of the Father for the Son. We enter into the flow of the love of the Trinity. God the Father's love for His Son, His desire to exalt His Son in the earth. And I think when the Spirit is poured out on us, we get the love of God. This deep affection for Jesus begins to flow in our life, and we want to exalt him in our life and go after him and love him and obey him in ways we never had before by the power of the Spirit. And so that's why this, uh, this commitment to receive more should be a part of our life. And I think as we move toward the end of the age, we're going to see greater and greater encounters of the Spirit. One of the reasons I believe that, I believe that, that people who are seeking greater encounters of the Spirit will lead us into the end-time revival is because people who are always seeking the next thing are the leaders in the next revival. This is important. The people who have crossed the frontier into the next thing God is doing are people who say, I will not limit God by what I know. I'm willing to risk into something I don't know. I don't understand. But if it's the new thing God is doing, I'll give myself to that. You see, the people that generally resist revivals are people who say, I only want to happen what I know has happened. The people who cross into the new thing God is doing and saying, I want what God is doing today are the leaders into revivals. And I think Those are the leaders into the great outpouring of God at the end of the age. And that means if we're going to be a part of that, then even now in our hearts we need to put ourselves in a posture of saying to God, God, I will not limit you by what I know about you because this little kindergarten mind doesn't know a whole lot about you. You're far greater than anything I know. And whatever you want to do, the next thing you want to do, the next move you want to make, I want to give myself to that. And it's that kind of posture, that kind of expectancy to receive more from God that becomes the catalyst. Now, in saying that, let me say this. By receiving more encounter of the Holy Spirit, I'm not necessarily saying it has to be more and more dramatic. I'm just saying it's new, it's fresh, a new way that God moves upon you. How can we exhaust the, the possibilities of how the Spirit can work in our life in just one or two experiences. <laughs> the Spirit of God has, is, is creative and unique. I mean, He created the whole universe. The Spirit of God moved across the face of the deep. And so there's a uniqueness and a creativity in the way that He moves in our life. And that if we would stay in the posture of saying, new, new creation life, new things, new possibilities, new frontiers, I want this in my life. If we stay in that posture, God can begin to do things. Now, two cautions on that. Number one, if you're going to seek new encounters of the Spirit, seek it in relationship with community. Don't go off on some mystical journey (laughs) out into Never Never Land, you know, where you're just having your own experience of God. It's, It's all right to seek God on your own. There's nothing wrong with that. But listen, we seek the Spirit for the sake of community because revival is about the Spirit of God coming upon a group of people not just individuals. Fullness of the Spirit is the Spirit of God coming upon me, but revival is God coming upon us. And so we seek for more for the sake of the community. And then the second thing I would say is, if you're seeking for more of the Spirit, not only stay in community, but stay in life. Don't go off on some kind of weird tangent that divorces you from everyday life realize that God wants to give us his spirit so that we might live out his presence and beauty in the midst of everyday life. And so we're not saying, you know, that you need to get into a lifestyle that you go to every conference within a 50-mile radius for the rest of your life. No, it's live life. Live it here. Live it with your family. Live it with your church but live it with expectancy that God will give you more in the midst of these relationships. And as you do that, you begin to see him breaking in in fresh and, and new ways. Third thing is this. Expectancy of a worldwide revival produces takers of more. Not just seekers of more, not just receivers of more, but takers. By that I mean kind of an intentional taking of something What do we take? We take heaven and earth. Let me explain. Many of the prophecies about the final outpouring of the Spirit says it will be marked by an incredible harvest of the earth. Many people coming into the kingdom. Matter of fact, the greatest harvest the world has ever known, I believe, will be at the end of the age. For example... Revelation 14, 15 and 16 speaks of a great harvest at the end of the age. James 4, 7 speaks of a latter rain. You have the early rain, which is Pentecost. The latter rain, which will be this end-time harvest that will increase the fruit of the harvest before the harvest comes in that revival, that final revival. Paul, as we talked about in Romans, speaks of a harvest among the nations that will bring an entire nation, Israel, To the Lord Jesus, so we're seeing this massive uh, these prophecies of this massive harvest across the earth because of this surge of the Holy Spirit in the life of the church. Now, Paul, how will that happen? I mean, is it just that somehow God flips the switch and people start turning to Jesus without any other uh, uh, process involved? No, I I think it has to do with the church and what God is doing in the church by the outpouring of His Spirit that will create this harvest. For example, in Romans 11, Paul is trying to make the case that at the end of the age, the Jews would become jealous for what's happening among the Gentiles. He says that's the way that Israel will be won to the Lord. Something's going to happen among the Gentiles that will cause the Jews to suddenly turn and become jealous for what they see going on among the Gentiles in relationship to Jesus. In Romans 11, 13 and 14, Paul says, that is why I make much of my ministry. Paul says, I make much of my ministry to make them jealous. Now, what does he mean by that? Is he saying, I I put up posters with my picture on it to say, hey, the Apostle Paul, you know? No, he's not talking about making much of himself. He's saying, there's something going on in my ministry that's really important that causes people to turn and examine this thing about Jesus. So what's going on in Paul's ministry? Well, he gives us a clue in Romans 15, 18 and 19. He says, in my ministry, there is the power of signs and miracles and the power of the Spirit. Signs and miracles through the power of the Spirit. In other words, hear me carefully on this. We will take earth by taking more of heaven. By taking more of the gifts and the graces and the blessings of God into our life that so demonstrate the power of the kingdom on earth that the, we can, we're able to take more of the earth. And Paul saw this as the key to the expansion of the kingdom in the earth. We take more of heaven to take more of earth. As, are, are you taking more of heaven in your life? And by that, I mean, are you taking more of the gifts? Have you, uh, have you said, Lord, you know, I, okay, maybe I've had a gift show up in my life here and there, but that's not enough. Paul says, eagerly desire spiritual gifts. Are you taking more of the gifts? Are you taking more of the presence of the Lord? More worship? More glory? More of these things that are available to us? Or have we just kind of settled where we are and we're just circling the field? Paul says, take more by faith. Take more. Take more of heaven so that you can take more of earth. So for us, what that means uh, is simply this. First of all, ask the Lord, Lord, what do, you, what do you want to give me? And how do I take that? How do I begin to act in faith, believing you for more? Are, are you believing God for more? What's the next thing you're going after in your own life? that's the key take more take more of heaven to take more of earth and on this issue of taking more of earth i really feel i had a word this in the earlier service and and i i want to encourage some of you here do not write anyone off in terms of the kingdom to me it's amazing to me what god is doing among the muslims today I mean, uh, there's a move of God among Muslims. A lot of it's kind of below the radar. And matter of fact, I think a lot of what we're seeing in the news, the untold story is the power of the gospel and how it's affecting the world. And many Muslims are coming to Christ in unusual ways because of the power of the kingdom. I sometimes wonder if the thing that will make Israel jealous is a revival among the Muslims. Coming to Christ. (laughs) And Israel will say, Why are the Muslims turning to Jesus as Messiah? You know, maybe we need to examine this. Maybe we'll see see what's going on. So, if that's true in the world, let me say if there is someone in your life that for maybe years has been away from the Lord, don't write them off. Don't write off any segment of the harvest. (laughs) Because God is saying, the best is yet to come. So we should always stay in a posture of saying, God, I want to believe you for this person. I want to believe you for this area. I want to believe you for doing this. Uh, This past uh, week, I had an opportunity to go with a friend of mine in Minneapolis who has started a ministry among um, uh, addicts. Uh, Folks have been addicted to to, um, drugs and alcohol. And so he's created a... Kind of a halfway home to kind of get them ready to go back into this culture. Many of the, uh, they all come to the Lord and learning to live out their new life together, which is very important as they meet together. So we, we had a meeting, it was a Wednesday night, sat around the table, had a meal together, and just shared and prayed and believed together. And I, I realized, you know, this, this is a part of the harvest that we cannot give up on. If a person's struggling with addictions, to say, well, we can't just write them off there's still the potential of being a part of the harvest. And just to see in that small meeting, which I thought was such a powerful expression of church life, these guys making, seeing transformation in their life and a, a love for Jesus and living together in community to make sure they wouldn't fall back into their addictions and recognizing the importance of God working in their midst, in their life together. It was such an incredible picture of what God wants to do. And I think as we move toward the end of the age, he wants to increase that in so many ways. And so, you know, there may be a segment that God gives you in this community, a segment of this community people are given up on. And God is saying, that's a part of the harvest. Find a way to get into that group. Find a way to get into those people and begin to give yourself. Believing. Take more of heaven to take more of earth. So there'll be this great expression of God. Um, let me close with this. Uh, one of the things I've, um, I've been doing recently, and I, I, I mean, I'm not Pentecostal uh, in terms of my background and denomination, but I've been reading a lot about the Azusa Street Revival, which was the revival that kind of ignited the whole Pentecostal movement. Very interesting revival. It took place in uh, Los Angeles, California back in 1906, right after the San Francisco earthquake. Uh the, the thing that intrigues me about the revival is that it was truly a taking of heaven and earth. Uh, for example, since that revival in 1906, over 700 million people across the earth claimed that as the source of their spiritual life. That are living today. 700 million, in a little over 100 years, 700 million people have been brought into the kingdom through that revival. Uh, Amazing amazing taking of the earth through a taking of heaven. And I think the reason that revival has had such an impact is because it was such a powerful taking of the things of heaven. For example, one of the strongholds that was taken down in that revival uh, of earth was the whole issue of racism. This is 1906, so uh, racism, pretty strong Jim Crow laws in the south. And the person who led the revival was William Seymour, an African American. And the 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 revival, which was in this little warehouse in L.A., was made up of Anglo's, uh, Hispanic, African Americans, Asians. It was is the greatest mix of races that came together with the outpouring of the Spirit upon him. just just like Joel too, all flesh. Uh, it was it was. God was pouring out his spirit, but the the thing that intrigued me the most, which was a, a book that I was reading about some of the inside experiences, was that in the revival in this little warehouse that they were meeting and hold about four or five hundred people, the revival went on for about three and a half years. At times, they could actually see a glory cloud. Now that shouldn't be too far off of our radar because the scripture speaks of that in there was a cloud over the over the tabernacle in the wilderness, a cloud of his glory. Isaiah saw this cloud of his glory, and they actually saw a cloud that was in the room. They said at times it was so thick that the kids would play hide and seek in it and what they what they were seeing was because they were taking so much of heaven in this in this revival that in a sense heaven and earth were kind of interacting interacting in a significant way where there were signs of heaven breaking into the earth. And I believe that it was the level of their their taking the things of heaven that caused the ability to take so much of earth. So I, I want to encourage you to say Lord, you know, what can you do in the earth that we haven't seen and that you want to do? And would you give us a posture that we would say we want to see uh, an inbreaking of the kingdom of God into the earth as we move toward the last days that would be so stunning that it would not only change us, but it would change the community around us? And that we could take the earth because of what you're giving us of heaven to minister into the lives of people. So that's my uh, my word to you today more <laughs> believe for more expect more receive more take more and live in that posture for the rest of your life or until Jesus comes so we're gonna we're gonna pray and maybe you have a need this morning it might be in the area of healing and maybe just asking God for more or to give you put you in a posture to believe him for more or Kind of committing to say, I'm I'm going to start praying this. I'm going to start praying that God would revive me and revive us and do things that are beyond anything we know of or have seen before. Not for the, not for the excitement of something new, but for the the importance of the kingdom of God breaking into our lives to take the earth. And uh, if if you have a need this morning, we'd be glad to pray with you. We will have uh, ministry teams down here to do that. So uh, invite Bo to come up and. Lead us in worship, and as He's coming, let me just pray for us and uh, ask the Lord. You can stand if you will, and Lord, we are so grateful for Your faithfulness, God, Sovereign God, Your faithfulness to move history toward the return of Jesus. And Lord, we want to be a part of that. We don't want to just be on the sidelines watching, or we don't want to be in a posture of doubt or fear or confusion. God, we want a heart that says more, more of you, more of you, Lord. Lord Jesus Christ, Lord Jesus Christ, revive us, revive our hearts, revive this church. Jesus, revive this community. We're asking for Holy Spirit coming on you power in this day. to Make a difference in the earth, Lord, how we need it how we need it. So I bless these brothers and sisters, Lord, and I pray that you give them a new level of expectation for what you want to do in their heart as individual and in this community of faith. So we pray it in Jesus' name.